Okay, bear with me this morning. Our scripture reading's a little long and there's a lot of names. We all know about Bible names. They're a little complicated. Okay, we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel 15, 13 through 18 and 17, 1 through 14. If you have a pew Bible, it's pages 331 through 334. Or if you use your smartphone like I do and the Bible app, I use New Version. It works great. You just have to scroll through and find 2 Samuel. Okay, 15, 13 through 18. A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then... David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put city to sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, But he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all of the people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. All of his men marched past him, along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all six hundred of the Gittites who who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. 17, 1-14. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he was weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all of the people with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and bring all of the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all of the elders of Israel. But Absalom said, Summon Hashai and Akite so we can hear what he has to say. When Hashai came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given, us, has given this advice. Should we do what he says? If not, give us your opinion. Hashai replied to Absalom, The advice Ahithophel has given is not good this time. You know your father has his men, they are fighters, and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he is hidden in a cave or some other place. If he should should attack your troops first... Whoever hears about it will say, There has been a slaughter among the troops who followed Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. So I advise you, let all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sands on the seashore, be gathered to you, with you yourself leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he withdraws into a city, 
Then all Israel will bring ropes to that city and we will drag it down to the valley until not even a piece of it can be found. Absalom and all of the men of Israel said, The advice of Hashai and Akite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster to Absalom. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, well, we're back in our series on David. And uh, last week we looked at, we started it off, we looked at David the shepherd, right? The shepherd boy. But we tried to get a little bit of a different image of David than, uh, you know, than little boy blue under the haystack. This was, uh, we, we found out, you know, he had honed some skills by the time we meet David in the Bible. And we're going to learn about one of those skills a little bit more today as we explore David as a warrior. David is a huge figure in the Old Testament and across even the New Testament. He's uh, the guy that ultimately established God's kingdom of Israel, established its boundaries. Yeah, it had been there, but they just kept getting raided and attacked by outside groups. And so David's the guy that finally secured the borders, uh, subdued Israel's enemies. And not only that, but really importantly for us and for the Jews, is that from David, it was prophesied, would come the Messiah, the king who would be a different sort of king, the king of kings. And so along came one who was called the son of David and also known as the son of God. And it's he that we worship today. And so David, as we study this series, we find that he also in many ways points to Jesus. Now today, we're, you know, it's Father's Day and I think you know, how appropriate that we're looking at David the warrior and this is just going to be good stuff. Uh, we get to, we get to, this is like a stuff out of a movie or something, which, you know, Hollywood should do this sometime. They should do David justice. They haven't done that yet, but, I mean, it would make an epic series because it's just chock full of story upon story. And even though we're doing this whole series, we're only going to be able to touch on just a fraction of the story. So I would encourage you to go and look at, you know, First and Second Samuel in particular, and there's other spots where David shows up as well, but uh, check out this stuff for yourself. Now we're this Father's Day, and and you know we are talking about warrior, and I, and I just as we go through this message, I want to encourage our any dads and grandfathers in this room uh, to be the warrior that your family needs. And I don't mean literally the way we're going to talk about David being a warrior. We probably don't need that, but <laughs> we're, but be the dad, be the grandfather that your family needs and embrace who you are, who God made you to be and the way he wired you to be a dad and a father. A lot of places in our culture, we look around and we see that dads are, are not very popular. You, I mean, just look on, on uh, any TV show that depicts a father, right? They're always now, you know, it was probably good when we started poking some fun at dads. We had probably been taking ourselves too seriously for about 4,000 years, but uh, we probably needed to learn to laugh at ourselves a little bit. But, you know, now it's to the point where you can't depict a father in a good light in our culture and in our society anymore. It has to be the brunt of jokes. And many of our dads, as we look around at our culture, have pulled back from their role 
of being a dad, of being a firm disciplinarian, of being, uh, you know, a, the gruff side of parenting, uh, which is, you know, not every dad and mom are wired the same way, I understand that, but by and large, most dads are a different sort of breed than most moms, right? And I know that's true in, in my household. I'm just a whole different animal than Julie. And, and so that's interesting for our kids, but they need both. They need the loving, nurturing side of things, and they also need that firm, gruff side of things at times. And so we complement each other when we're both doing our job as parents. And so I just want to encourage, you know, dads and moms, don't buy into the culture's thing, you know, of, of dads are just a joke, and dads need to get out of the way, and moms know how to parent, and dads don't. And uh, let's let's get past that and get back to the way God intended it to be, where both parents are in the home and investing in kids the way God designed them to do and so be the warrior your family needs that's your Father's Day spiel and so as we go through this this message on David as a warrior just be encouraged to be the warrior that your family needs now we're going to talk today about a you know kind of our takeaway as we look at David as a warrior is going to be along the lines of uh, we're going to learn a little bit about what it means to put your trust in the right things because a lot of us, you know, we've been through something where we've been disappointed because we put our trust in something that couldn't hold up to that, right? We, whether it was our search for security, uh, or, you know, we all want to be able to retire, right? We all want to have some financial security. We all want to have some uh, relational security. Or maybe it was a, your pursuit of success in some, uh, you know, whether it's on a sports team or in a job or career or whatever the case may be or in school. Uh, but... You know, sometimes we put our trust in the wrong things and it ends up blowing up in our face and we end up disappointed. And I think we're going to learn something about that from David, the warrior, today. This is kind of an odd story to talk about David as the warrior. I mean, this is a story about old David running for his life. <laughs> Basically, that's what that boiled down to. We just read about uh, and the old version of David, uh, his you know, one thing, Father's Day, don't look to David for fathering advice. All right, This guy, he, he was not your uh, model parent. We're going to talk about a lot of things David was. Good dad is not going to be on the list. Uh, he, he had some troubles. And uh, he had favorites. And sometimes the favorites weren't you know, he wasn't their favorite, apparently, because Absalom was his favorite, but Absalom decided his daddy was living too long, and he wanted to take over the throne. And this sort of thing happened back then a lot, and people, you know, by, you know, mutiny and that kind of things with conspiracies and all that would, would rise up from time to time, and this was one of those cases. And so we find David running for his life from his own son, who was his favorite. <laughs> It's not a very good spot to be in. It doesn't make you look like a very great warrior. But as I thought on all the stories of David, of course the most obvious one that comes up is, is David and Goliath, right? That's maybe the most popular story about David. And, and we all love that story. We grow up with that story. Of course our image of that story is probably different than how it was. Uh, we picture, you know, this tiny little boy slings his little slings. Yay! <laughs> and everyone cheers and, and then they go home but uh, you know when you actually read the story you can tell it's, a, it's at least an adolescent David because to pick up one of those iron swords the size of what Goliath would have been carrying this nine foot giant 
it takes some muscle, right? And especially, just to pick it up would take some muscle. Uh, But of course, David, after he slung the stone and knocked out the giant, went and grabbed up his sword and cleaved off the guy's head. Took it off. I mean, that takes some muscle, right? (laughs) This was uh, at least an adolescent David, a David who could kill a bear with a club, uh, a David who knew what he was doing. Because back then, in that day, as we already talked about, all youth would learn how to use a weapon. Because you either learned how to fight at an early age, or you would die at an early age. It was a brutal and violent world that they lived in. Raids would happen from neighboring tribes and clans and kingdoms and nations, and there was all these factions, and and that region, I mean, look at the region still today, right? (laughs) The Middle East is still a mess, and lots of warring factions, and people in the same camps don't even agree, and and end up doing all kinds of evil to each other, and and the case was true 3,000 years ago as well. It was a mess, and it was a rough world, but... We know that uh, we, even though we don't like you know, that idea of, of head chopping, the only people we know that do that sort of thing nowadays are crazy terrorists and such. In that day, it was just part of the reality of growing up in that culture. And, and if you think about it, you know, in our day and time, we would have, uh, you know, if, if we destroyed our enemy, what would we do? Well, it would be all over the news, Right? There'd be pictures of it, news about it. They'd take satellite images and show you the territory that was taken over. In that day and time, not so much. In that day and time, you know, David didn't have an iPhone to you know, send out a mass text or to post it on Facebook. Look, here's Goliath, he's dead. So you loft the guy's head. And all your guys go, yay! And they charge the field. And all the other guys go, no! And they run. And that's what happened. And and so this kind of thing, you know, it happened from, you read several times in the Bible, you know, about people showing up with heads, you know. And you're like, what is the deal with that? But that's evidence in a world where they didn't really have another good way to bring evidence, did they? And so, it wasn't just about being brutal, it was kind of functional as well, but it was brutal, it was a brutal world, and many of the people who fought in that brutal world, I mean you could just get nicked by those old rusty weapons, and end up with an infection or something that would end up killing you imagine being a soldier in that day, I mean we have soldiers who come back with PTSD and different things from what they've seen overseas and what they've had to deal with in battle, these guys there were no triggers to pull. It was face to face. Your weapon, either they were going to stab you or you were going to stab them. Either they were going to cut you or you were going to cut them. It's hard to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to be a warrior in that day. Yes, there were some arrows, but by and large their weapons were swords and clubs and spears. Uh, the spears, we often think of them throwing them, but usually they would just fight. It gave them more reach if they had a spear. So they didn't want to throw their spear because then they didn't have the reach anymore. <laughs> it was gone. So, you know, this was the world that they grew up in. And, uh, and this was the world in which David burst onto the scenes as Israel's most famous warrior all at once from nobody 
to the guy. And pretty soon he's helping King Saul. He's leading his own raids and facing his own battles. And he rises in popularity to the point that pretty soon they're shouting, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And he grew ever more popular. But the reason I chose this particular story about David on the run is, in truth, I don't think there's a greater testament to what a great warrior David was than this story. Again, we have Absalom, his son, who launches a conspiracy. The conspiracy reached to the highest levels. And even David's top advisor was in on it, right? Because he's one of the ones given advice that we read about. And so we've got David running for his life. Absalom comes into town with his crew. And first thing he does, it says, is publicly sleeps with David's concubines, which are like his wives. It's like sleeping with someone's wives in public. Which, again, different culture, right? <laughs> but this was, mess- this was his way of saying, I'm serious about this. There's no going back now. You know, I, you're not going to see me saying, oh, you know, daddy, please take me back. Because that, I mean, you know, that line has been cut. <laughs> this, is, this is over. I am here. I mean, business. I'm taking over the kingdom. And so join me or, or get out of my way. And so after he establishes himself in Jerusalem, well, then he goes to seek some advice as to what he should do next. Because what has to happen before Absalom will ever truly be king, is David has to die. So he asks advice of the wisest advisor in the kingdom. A guy who David took his advice as though he was God himself, practically. Ahithophel. And Ahithophel says, you got to go now. You know, he's old, he's tired, he's weary, he's not organized, you got to go now, you got to take him down. Well, then comes the other advisor, who happens to be planted by David himself, but Absalom doesn't know this. Apparently, you know, there was espionage and stuff even back 3,000 years ago. So David had sent Hushai specifically to counter the advice of Ahithophel. And so he shows up, and of course he says, ah, the advice of Ahithophel is not good this time. It's not. Nope. You know, Absalom, you know your father and his men. They are fighters and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Like right now, you know, they're intensely angry, Absalom. Uh, So besides that, he's experienced. He's not going to spend the night with the troops. He's hidden off in some cave or some place. So even if you should attack with uh, your troops first, whoever hears about it will say there's been a slaughter among the troops that are fighting for Absalom. And then... Even the bravest soldier whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt with fear for all of Israel knows your father is a fighter and that those who are with him are brave. Now whose advice do you think Absalom takes? That of the better advisor? Of the wisest counselor in all of Israel? No. (laughs) He takes Hushai's advice. And the only reason I can think that he would take Hushai's advice is that Hushai was onto something. (laughs) 
these guys were some bad dudes. You didn't want to mess with these guys. David and his men, historians say, were probably the most elite fighting force this region perhaps had ever seen. Certainly at this time. Even though they didn't, Israel didn't have a whole lot of chariots and that kind of thing, uh, these guys knew how to fight. They had spent time as fugitives and outcasts of the kingdom, roughing it in caves and learning and just fending for their lives. And out there in the desert, apparently they had learned some skills. I don't know if David himself trained those guys, but they were loyal to him and they knew what they were doing. And everyone else in the kingdom and outside the kingdom knew that they knew what they were doing. I guess, for one, you don't make it to your old age as a warrior unless you know what you're doing. (laughs) Maybe that's part of it back then as well. But these guys were obviously hugely respected. Some of David's warriors, those men who were with him that were brave, are still recorded for us in Scripture all the way to this day. Now, you've heard of the Magnificent Seven, perhaps, or, or the Dirty Dozen, But have you heard of the three or the thirty? Now you have. These were David's elite squads of warriors. They were fiercely loyal and they knew how to fight. Let me just tell you about a few of them. Get ready for this. Now just to pre-warn you, I'm pretty sure some of these guys were the ancestors of some of y'all that go fishing and then you come back and you say, my fish was this long, you know. Just get forewarning you. Josheb Bashabeth. Now with a name like that, you've got to be a good warrior or else you're going to get made fun of. He was the chief of the three. He was not the greatest of the three, but he was the leader of the three. And we're told that he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Then there's Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite. Now, that guy fared better than his father as far as names go, right? (laughs) I'd much rather be Eleazar than Dodai, but anyway. It says when he was another one of the three. And when the rest of Israel fled in a battle, he stayed put and struck down Philistines all day long till his hand froze to his sword and when the troops came back there was nothing left to do but just plunder <laughs> the guy meant business and, and the guy who was probably the most truthful with his stories of what happened is, his name is Benaiah son of Jehoiada <laughs> that's what it says it's my best attempt he struck down two of Moab's greatest, most elite warriors. So like two of their, you know, if they had a three, you know, he struck down two of them. Just by his lonesome. Interestingly enough, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. Also went up against a huge Egyptian who was wielding a spear, even though Benaiah only had a club. It's not good odds. If you think about it, if the guy was bigger than Benaiah, he already had longer reach. If he had a spear, he had even longer reach. Benaiah had a little club, didn't even have a pointy end on it, probably. <laughs> he took down the guy. David, you might see why, put him in charge of his bodyguard. So this guy was like, you know, Benaiah, head of secret service. These were the guys who were with 
David. These were the feats for which they were renowned throughout this region. And this is why, this is why when Hushai says, I wouldn't hurry out there if I were you. I'd gather up all the people I could and go out there in battle with all of the warriors of Israel and put them down that way. And so that's what Absalom decides to do. But of course, Ahithophel had the better advice all along. Because by the time he gets out there with all of his troops, David and his warriors, experienced fighters, had time to rest up, had time to get prepared, and they met them on the ground that they wanted to meet on. And things did not go as planned for poor Absalom, who ended up getting his hair tangled up in a tree, which is why I keep my hair short. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be in a battle back then and have your hair tangled in a tree. I'm just telling you. Absalom is proof. And so he dies. And David mourns Absalom. Still still his favorite son. <laughs> he mourns him. And, and one of his, the leaders of his army, Joab, comes to him and says, Pull it together, man. Where is the David that I'm used to seeing? Where is the David who knows how to lead men better than anyone I know? Because right now, your troops just delivered you an incredible victory and delivered the kingdom back into your hands and you're looking like you, you know, are falling to pieces and crying about it. And so, you know, get out there and congratulate your men. David had to pull it together. But David, you can tell just from this story, I mean, here he is in his old age and he and his old fighting buddies are so feared and revered that his own son, who had hatched a conspiracy against him, was shaking in his boots at the thought of going up against him. And that tells you something about what kind of a warrior David and his men were. But as impressive as David was as a warrior, as impressive as those warriors around him were, perhaps the most impressive thing about David was that he didn't even trust his own ability. He didn't even trust his own men's abilities. And when victory was won, he didn't brag about it. Now think about that. Most of us can't even pull that off. And we're not even that talented. <laughs> Most of us can't even pull that off. We do trust our abilities. And we like to take the credit. <laughs> But David was so good at this. Look, here's a psalm that he wrote. And we're going to talk about David the poet next time. But he wrote, Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. See, he knows where victory comes from, right? It's the Lord that gives the victory. And check out those last couple of lines there. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now again, go back in time, because no one trusts in chariots and horses anymore in our day and time. But if you go back in time and, live, and picture yourself in David's shoes as this warrior, going into battle, and if you had chariots and horses, you had a leg up on anybody, except maybe David, <laughs> except maybe the 30 and the 3. But if you had chariots and horses, then you were in good shape. That was as good as weaponry got in that day. And he said, some people trust in that, but not us. Not us. 
We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And this is a lesson that David knew from his very first battle to his last, apparently. Because even if we go all the way back to that first moment where young David walks out to face the giant Philistine, we read what he said. You come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He didn't say, watch out Goliath, I may look small, but I pack a big punch. <laughs> you know, he didn't say, watch out Goliath, here I come. You don't know what's about to hit you, I'm David. <laughs> uh-uh. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. And this very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know that David is a mighty warrior. No. What they'll know is that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you, into our hands. What's remarkable about David as a warrior is that he understood something that most folks don't. That some people trust in human ability. We trust in God's ability. And as good a warrior as David was, as good a warrior as the men he had around him were, This is perhaps the most remarkable thing about David the warrior. That even before the battle, he's already giving credit to God. Even before the battle, he's already saying, this is who we trust. And after the battle, guess who he worships? Guess who he thanks? Guess who he praises? So I want to talk to you just about your life. You don't carry a sword to work. Probably. You might conceal carry, but that's a different message. Uh, but <laughs> you, you don't go to, to work as a warrior, but you, you in your life, you know, you, you pursue things. You, you're good at certain things. You, uh, you, you know, you're, you maybe you have a job, right? And in that job, you're trying to get ahead some, any way you can, get a promotion, get a raise, whatever the case may be. Or at school, trying to make the grade. Right, or on a, on a team, and you want to win, go Tigers. You, even in life, just outside of those things, there's ways we want to succeed in our families, in our homes. You know, no one goes into a marriage thinking, hope this thing fails. No, we all want it to succeed. We all run into problems along the way in all of those areas of life and more. And, and when we face those problems, you know, call them a battle, if you will. And when you're facing a battle, my question for you today is, is who do you trust? Are, are you, is it your tendency to trust in human ability or to trust in God's ability first? See, it's real easy for us with our, you know, especially if you grow up in the church, you're in the church, Christian lingo comes easy to us. And it's easy to say we trust God. No, I'm just trusting Him. But 
Are we really? And that's my question for you today is, first off, who or what do you rely on in your battles? Like, not who do you say you rely on, who do you actually rely on? Who do you go to first when trouble strikes? Where do you turn first? Where do you seek help first? Whose counsel do you seek first? Who do you trust to get you out of the situation or fix the situation? What are you trusting for your security in this life? Or the next for that matter? Is it a parent? Is it a child? Is it a sibling? Is it a friend? A counselor? We're not against any of those things, but we need to make sure we have a proper perspective on them because as long as we trust in human ability, we'll be disappointed in the end. Every time. David understood. Some people trust in human ability. We trust in God's ability. A second question for you would be, who gets the credit for your successes? You know, when you face a hard time and then you make it through, who gets the credit? Or when you have a success, you know, and your career path is on up, 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 who gets the credit for that? Now, some of us, you know, some people, it's, it's easy to read, you know, because they just kind of, they're all, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeve, whatever you want to call it, you know, and they'll just be like, I did it! <laughs> I'm great! I'm awesome! Look at me! And others of us, you know, we're, we're more clever about it. And we say, oh, you know, don't, don't say that. No, I didn't do anything. No, 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 don't, don't do that. <laughs> right? We do that kind of thing where we try to act humble. But we're not really, you know, we're really on the inside. We want all the credit we can get. And we think we can get more credit if we act humble about it. But do some heart searching today. Do some heart searching and see if we can perhaps learn something from David the warrior about what made him a man after God's own heart. Because it wasn't his parenting abilities, we've already established that. And he had plenty of other faults and we're going to establish those. But I think one of the things that, about his character, about his makeup, about what he did and the choices he made that made him someone that people could call a man after God's own heart would be that he was always quick to trust God first and to give God the credit before and after, right? Even before the battle. It's like, God's about to do this. Watch this. And then look, God did that. (laughs) So I encourage you to learn this skill in your own life. Practice this. Learn to trust truly in God first and foremost. That doesn't mean you don't seek counsel elsewhere. David sought counsel elsewhere. He had counselors. One of them betrayed him, right? (laughs) But he knew, first and foremost, where deliverance would come from, where success would come from, where security would come from. And he was always quick to give God the credit, both before and after. So let's try and do the same as well. As we wrap this up, you know, David, as we've said, is a signpost pointing to something else, to someone else. He's... He's one of the big signposts in the Bible that says there's someone else coming. It's going to be greater than me. 
You know, I found it interesting this week, you know, when David fled from Jerusalem and it looked like everything was over, right? It says that he marched up through the Mount of Olives. And a thousand years later, the King of Kings would march up through the Mount of Olives, didn't he? Right before they would crucify him. Right before he was betrayed and crucified. And so, once again, it looked like everything was crashing down. Everything was coming to an end, just as it had looked for David. But just as with David, victory was just around the corner. And we oftentimes, we don't think of Jesus as this great warrior. We think of him with children on his knee. We think of him with compassion in his voice and kindness. And certainly, that was all there. But scripture refers to him as a warrior too. And we know when you just read about Jesus that there were times he could be fierce. And we know that his greatest victory was won in unusual fashion. Laying down his life for those he loved. But he was raised back to life. To victory over death, our greatest enemy. And not only that, we're told he's going to return. And that he's going to put all of God's enemies under his feet. That they will all be subjected. That justice will reign. The book of Revelation talks about that a lot and uses a lot of symbolism to talk about it. And one of the, one of the great symbols in Revelation, chapter 19, and if you ever want to check it out, describes this rider on a white horse. And he's got heaven's armies at his back. And there's a sharp sword coming out of his mouth that's destroying all of God's enemies and bringing justice to the world. He is called Faithful and True, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He strikes down the nations and feeds them to the birds, it says. Which I also thought was interesting because that's another David image, isn't it? Young David standing there saying, Listen, here Goliath, I'm about to feed all of you to the birds. (laughs) Because God's about to hand you over to us. That was a picture of battle in that day. Again, a picture we don't like to think of very much. We'd rather think of, you know, polished scenes of King Arthur's court. But on the real battlefield back in that day, there was a lot of carnage left on the field. And that's what would happen after, is the birds would come. And that meant the battle had been decided. It was over. And someday the battle will be over, once and for all. Who do you trust? Who do you trust in the short term, but who do you trust in the long term? Who do you trust for your life? I trust the warrior, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who will return to set things right. I pray you'll trust Him as well. Because we are the people of His kingdom. We have a job to carry the battle forward even now, don't we? Until his return. And we're the dads raising up our children to fear the Lord. And we're the people who know that while some folks trust in human ability, it can't be trusted. So we trust in God's ability alone. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being our strong warrior. God, we confess our tendency to trust in our own abilities. We ask, God, that you would teach us to truly trust in you. And we'll give you all the credit and the glory forever and ever. Amen.